Okay, we're going to start here with the Mishnah on the top of Nun Vav Aleph. The Mishnah says, Someone takes a netter to restrict themselves in the house. They are mutar baliyah. They are allowed to utilize or go into the second level of the house. Divi Rabbi Meir. On the other hand, the Chamim say, The Aliyah is subsumed under the Bayit, meaning that it is a part and parcel of the Bayit. If a person restricts themselves in the Bayit, then they're also restricted in the Aliyah. But someone takes a nether to restrict themselves in the Aliyah, then they are mutar in the Bayit. Rashi says, That's according to everybody. Even Rabbi Meir agrees that the word aliyah, or when you specify the aliyah, that's distinct from the bayit, and the two are not synonymous with each other. Now, the truth is that the Gemara in Baba Batra says that the person who sells a house also sells the aliyah with it. So in general, we would assume that the aliyah is a subset or subordinate to the house, and therefore the question here seems academic because the aliyah is always included in the bayit. What you have to say is that it depends where you're located, and we've seen this in the Darium a lot, depends where the Bayit and the Aliyah are. In certain locations, the Aliyah is a part and parcel of the Bayit, and you would never see the two as being separate units. Whereas maybe in a place where there was denser housing and they rented out separately the Bayit and the Aliyah, there you could see the Bayit and the Aliyah being separate, and that might be where Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim are having their Machloket. Gemara wants to know, Mantano. So who is the author of this Braita? The Braita is really a Braita from Torah Kohanim. deals with Negaim. Now the question of what the word is over here, the word could either be Babayit, which is Nega Nira Li Babayit, or the word could be Babayit, which is from the word Beit Eretz Achuzat Chem. And it seems that Tosafot raises the issue that the Girsa that we have seems to be very problematic. And therefore he opts for an alternate Girsa in the Gemara over here, which actually changes which word we're darshaning. So the way that we have it in our Gemara is Mantana Babayit Rabot et Yitziah. Babayit Rabot et Aliyah. That the word Babayit comes to include the Yitziah, which is unclear. Yitziah is either a small area they used for storage, or it's a, a placement or location above the Mirpeset. It's a smaller sub-location within the house. So the Babai would come to include the Yitziah, and then Babai would also come to include the Aliyah. So I'm Rav Chista, Rabbi Meir, it's got to be Rabbi Meir, Dear Rabbanan, Amri Rabbanan, Aliyah, Bechlal Because according to the Rabbanan, you don't have to say anything extra. You don't need a reboy to include the Aliyah. It's part of the Bayit. So, Why do I need the Pasuk, Babayit, Liribuya? Why do I need that extraneous wording in the Pasuk to teach me that the Aliyah is included, you would have said that anyway, just by the word Bayit itself would have included the Aliyah. So now, that's the way that the Gemara reads here. The problem with that, and Tosafot raises the issue, he says, Hiksha Rabbi Yitzchak, Hadarshinan Bikirota Bayit, Velo Bikira Yitziah. We have an explicit drosha in Torah Kohanim that it's only in the walls of the house, but not in the walls of the Yitziah. So that means that the Yitziah is not included in the Din of Nigaim. Now all of a sudden here we have a reboy that's including it. Therefore he says, He brings a brighta from Torah Kohanim that has an alternate girsa, and the girsa is like this. Instead of saying, And then we have, The Iran here claims that the word is from the Bebeit, and instead of, but rather it is, It comes to include that which is 
colored, colored walls. Why would you have a Havamina that colored walls should be different? That's because by Bigadim, by Negei Bigadim, over there, the Torah says that the Tzemer is like the Pishtim. Just like the Pishtan is white, and that's its color, the linen is white, so too the Tzemer has to be white. And therefore, colored Tzemer is not subject to Negei Bigadim. And we have a Hekesh in the Pasuk between Negei Bigadim and Negei Bayit. So you would have thought by Negei Bayit also, colored walls would be excluded from the Din of Negaim. So what is the word Babayit come to teach you? There are both of the Tzavua, to come to include that which is colored. I mean, colored walls would also be included. Now, obviously that's not relevant to our sugi over here, but that change makes it more palatable because then we're not including the Yitziah, which seemingly was excluded from another Jerusha. And rather they have the Jerusha being Hatzavua instead of Hayitziah. But the main focus, obviously, is in the second part of the drasha, which is Babayit, the Rabot, et Aliyah, or Rebet, Eruz Hafkuzatchem, is the Rabot, et Aliyah. And because of that, it seems like this bright was according to Rabbi Meir, because he requires a specific reboy in order to include the Aliyah. Without that reboy, he would not have included the Aliyah. So, Amar Abayi, rejects this and says, Abayi Amar, Akilu Even according to the Rabbanon, Abayi Kro, we need a posuk, the Sakadat Chamino. I would have thought, Beveit Eretz Achuzetchem, the Pasuk of Beveit Eretz Achuzetchem, Ktiv, Demichabar Ba'ara, Shmei Bayit, because that which is attached to the ground is called a house. Aliyah, Halomichabar Ba'ara. On the other hand, that Aliyah, the upper level, is not attached to the ground. Now this is all technical because, truthfully, the Aliyah is considered Mechubar, the Karka, in the technical sense, because if you look at it from inside Tumah, inside anything else, it is deemed to be Mukhubar the Karka through its attachment to the house. But what we're saying here is that if the Pasuk gives you an additional reboy of Beit Eretz Achuzetchem demanding that it be tied to the land itself, then the Bayit, which is directly on the land, is included, whereas the Aliyah, which is not directly, but only through the Bayit is attached to the land, would be excluded. So that might have been your Havamino, that only the Bayit, which is Mikhaber Ba'aro, is called a Bayit or subject in Igaim. The Aliyah, which is not, is not. And therefore, you need the Reboi even according to the Chachamim. So, according to who does this Memra of Ravuna Barchia in the name of Ula go? person says, I'm going to sell you a house among my houses. I'm going to sell you this. He can show him an Aliyah. Yeah, that is considered to be a bayit amongst his in my house. So Gemara that's only because he said a house among my houses, or a house in my house, that he said that. That language allows him to show him an aliyah. Aval, bayit stam, had he just used the word bayit by itself, he would not be allowed to do that. So it sounds from the Lashon, that's only because you use this strange formulation, which is bayit b'veti, a house amongst my house, or amongst my houses, or in my house. That's what allows you to show the aliyah. On the other hand, if you just use the word bayit, then you would not be able to show him the aliyah. Again, who does that sound like? Lamech Rabbi Meiri. I'd say that that's like Rabbi Meir, because the word bayit by itself would not have included an aliyah. Where it says, no, apilu teima rabbonon. Could even be the Rabbanon here. My Aliyah. What is the Aliyah? Meula Shibabatim. Or the other gears that the Masorah Tashaz brings is Meula Shibanechasim. You bring the, the best. So the word Aliyah can mean one of two things. In both cases, it means 
something similar. Aliyah means the upper level, but sometimes Aliyah can mean mi'uleh, the better one, the upper, but the upper not in the sense of height, but upper in the sense of qualitatively, it's better. So that's the way they can describe when it says here, Bayit Aliyah doesn't mean the upper level. Meiru Aliyah means you have to show them the best. Bayit Beveti means Miuchad Shibiviti, the best, or the unique, the special one. And because of that, you have to show them the best. So that's how the Rabbonin would interpret that statement, and therefore they could fit in to that statement. The Rishonim, the Tosafot, raises the issue, the Ran also discusses it as well, is that there's a parallel sugya Minachot that is the source for this Memra. And over there, the Gemara has a very different approach. The Gemara over there says the reason that he can show him the Aliyah is because it says, Yad Balashtar Atachtona. The person who's trying to make the claim always has, always has the lower hand. Because the star just writes, There are multiple interpretations to that. Well, he's a Motsi Mechavero Alavaraya. And since he can't prove what the language means, we're going to minimize what the language means. The minimal amount or the minimized version of that language is the Aliyah. That's how the Gemara there describes it or tells us why he's allowed to show him the Aliyah. Uh, based on that, it would sound like that we believe that Aliyah is a Davar Garua, is something that is negative or lesser, and that's why Yad Balashtar Tachtona, you give it to him, which will go against the conclusion of the Gemara here, which is the Rabbanon's interpretation that says that it's Mi'uleh that it's the best. And the word Aliyah means best, and over there the Gemara is clearly concluding that Aliyah means worse, or something negative. So how do we reconcile between the Gemara over here and the Gemara over there? One way is to say that the Gemara over there is following the sheet of Rabbi Meir. And that would indicate that we paskin like Rabbi Meir and not the Chachamim. So that's one way to look at it. On the other hand, the Balei Tosafot say this here, and the Ramban also takes the same sheet, that that's not the case. That the Maskana over there can even follow the sheet of the Rabbanon. Because you could say, It's telling you not only this. Lomi bai bai tzam. If you just said the word bai by itself, demareu aliyah, then for sure you can show him the aliyah because yad balashtar ala tachtona. Gemara is coming to teach you is that even if you say bai bebeiti, so even though there it sounds like you're giving him something more than just plain bai, still you can show him the aliyah because you don't have to show him the best. But yad balashtar ala tachtona. So what that shows you is that this language, even though it's seemingly is in a language that would have given you more over there in the nature of a transaction, the buyer has the lower hand because he can't prove what the language means. And therefore, we're going to go to the minimum interpretation of that statement and the lowest denominator in that statement would mean to show him the aliyah because that would qualify as bayat And even though normally you would think of it as being something better, but nevertheless, he can't prove it there. Since the language has both meanings, therefore, we would say that we give him the lower hand and because of that, he gets the Aliyah. So that's how the Rishonim continue to defend the position of the Rabbonon, even though the Gemara there seems to follow the sheet of Rabbi Meir in order to not have that Gemara paskin like Rabbi Meir. And that would leave open the possibility that the Rabbonon sheet could fit into the Gemara in as well. Right now we move on to the next Mishnah. Someone who takes a neder from a bed, mutar bidargash. He's mutar in the dargash. The Gemara will ask what a dargash is. And explain what it is. Generally, a dargash is normally known as a footstool or a stepping stool. It was some sort of platform to get up to the bed. The bed was much higher up. The way that you climbed onto the bed is that you had this dargash that allowed you to climb onto it. 
That's a more generic explanation of what a dargash is. Over here, the Gemara is going to ask in for specifics and what's the connection to the mita. So here, no dermin ha mita mutar bedargash tivir Rabbi Meir. Chachamim dargash bichlal mita. And then the Chachamim believe that dargash is a subcategory of mita or is included under the word mita. No dermin a dargash mutar be mita. On the other hand, someone takes a nether from the dargash is permitted in the bed. And again, Rashi says over here tivir akol. Everybody agrees here. Both the Chachamim and Rabbi Meir agree that the word Dargash by itself is not synonymous with Mita. And you say Dargash, it means Dargash and not Mita. Mar asked the question, my Dargash. What is this Dargash? Amaula Arsa de Gado. It is the bed of God. Now we've seen this before actually. The Gemara has brought it up in a number of other places. But the Arsa de Gado has to do with, call it a good luck bed. It was a bed that was set out or put in place for Good luck or mazel tov. Rashi says over here, mitash or chimota the mazal. It's a bed that they make for mazal. Vein shumadam And nobody sleeps on it. It's not a bed that is utilized as a bed for sleeping. It's a bed that is put in place for the mazal. And Tosafot says something, the same thing. He says that mita hasuya the chavot is made for the honor or the mazal. So it's a decorative bed. But the nature of this decorative bed is there to bring good luck to the house or bring mazel to the house. And that's more of a, in a general sense, that that was something that was done to honor the house or made something that was for good luck. The Rosh has a more detailed explanation that brings it closer to why or what the, the meaning behind this good luck is over here. And he says that, Ki, Sara datiruta nakir shimei, the Sar, the minister of wealth, is nakir shemei. Nakir, we've seen the word before, nakir means to be clean or cleanliness. And this wealth is found in houses that are kept clean. So the nakir is the name of the sar, and so there's a correlation between cleanliness, neatness, and the wealth. Somewhat along the lines of the modern idiom, cleanliness is next to godliness. And therefore this establishing of this bed, so they always have a bed that's permanently made in order to keep something that is always neat and clean. So that'll be the hosting chair for the god for this, whether it's a shade or a sar, that he'll have a place to go and he'll always find a place to come. This is clearly one of those things that lives on the fine line between nichush and what is appropriate or considered to be okay. The way the Rashi and the Tosafot interpret it, it's much easier it was just a bed that was decorative, it was there for mazel, it was a nice thing, but it's not connected directly to this idea of a sar or a shade or some sort of belief that he came. Others believe it was like the Rosh says over here, and the Ran brings a similar interpretation. It says, He brings the, the source for such a thing. And he says it's Shari Munechad It's put there for the Sar of the house in order for him to have a place to come. I would say similar to Kisei Eliyahu, where you put out something where we're going to greet that we expect Eliyahu V to come and to be at a Brit Milah. So it's over here, you expect the Sar to come, so you have this bed that's Mutzat, but not that we believe that there's any power to the Sar, but just that this person is, or this Sar, or this shade is a Shliach of Hashem, and therefore... As a shliach of Hashem, this is a way to honor Hashem. So that's the nature of this dargash. So I'm a little in the Ula, Hatnan. That explanation is somewhat difficult because we have a Mishnah that tells us 
that kishahin mavrinoto, when the people take care of the Kohen Gadol, Kohen Gadol who's in a veil, and they do havara, they take care of him and they provide him with his food and his meal after the burial. Kola am subimalaaretz, all the people sit on the ground, who may save ala dargash. And he sits on this dargash. The reason is because he's the Kohen Gadol. So in order to maintain the semblance of respect and differentiation, the people sit on the ground and he sits on a dargash. The Gemara says, I don't understand that. Kulashata lo yotivala. The whole year round, nobody sits on this bed. It's the Mazel Tov bed. Not a single person sits on it. It's there, set, made, but not used. And then the day of his Avelut, that's what he does. He goes and sits on the bed. He uses it on the day of Avelut. It seems almost incongruous with what we're trying to do. And Avel generally does something that is down on the ground, lowly, not something. Here he's using a bed that was made up for the Mazel, and he leaves it there for specially to use during his Avelut. That seems improper. So Maya said, Why is that a problem? Need to have a boss of the Kulashata. It's similar to meat and wine for the whole year. If he wants to eat meat and wine all year round, he has a choice. He can eat it. He doesn't eat it. How Yoma, on that day of the Avelut, we give him to eat, or more appropriately, not about the meat, but much about the wine, we give him to drink wine. Because, based on the Pasu, it says that, that wine is for those that are bitter souls, for those that are despondent, we give them wine. Meaning that wine was used as a way to uplift the spirits of the Avel and to take him out of his despondency. Even though he doesn't drink wine all year round, or he doesn't necessarily have to drink wine all year round, that's over here, we compel him to drink wine. Again, that practice was earlier, later on, was removed, or we stopped the practice of drinking wine because of the outcome that people were drinking too much and becoming drunk and was becoming inappropriate, so they don't serve wine at all at Tavilut. But there isn't necessarily a correlation between the lack of basar nyan and Avelut, which actually comes up now, it's in Yana Diyoma, during the nine days, the practice is not to eat meat and not to eat wine. So many people associate that with the Avelut, but that's not true. And Avel technically is mutar basar and mutar b'yayin. I mean, again, again, today the minog is not to have yayin, but originally there's nothing incongruous between yayin and Avelut. That's not a problem. And so Basar V'yayin during this period of time is not because of Avelut. There are one or two reasons brought in the poskim for not eating meat and drinking wine during this period. One of them, which is much more minor, seems to be that they bring happiness, that they bring a certain amount of simcha, in simcha of Basar V'yayin, and that simcha is inappropriate during this time of the nine days. The other reason brought is because Basar and Yayin are the major categories of items that go on the Mizbeach. And therefore, as a zechel churban, we don't eat basar v'yayin. The zechel churban that is based on the Gemara and Baba Batshua, that over in that time period after the churban, the people didn't want to eat basar v'yayin at all. And there, the Gemara talks about a conversation that takes place between these people who wanted to remember the churban and therefore were desisting from basar v'yayin. And along comes Tana there and says, "Well, if you're going to desist from that, you have to stop this. You have to stop this. Then you can't drink water. You can't eat bread." can't do all these other things in the Mikdash. So he says you have to have manage it. It has to be done in a proper way. You can't stop living. You can't leave the world entirely, but you have to learn how to manage it, that there's things that you do, Zechot al-Qurban, that are in particular, or we have certain simanim that we do it, and there's certain periods of time where it's appropriate. So again, that this period of time is a time period where it would be appropriate to desist from Yain and Basar in order to do the Zechot al-Qurban. 
but it's not necessarily connected with Davelut. And that's what we're saying over here, that Basar V'yayin, even though it's optional all year round, over here we compel him to drink wine in order to tend to his Avelut. So that's not so problematic that all year round he didn't sit on his bed and also now he uses the bed. That happens. That is part, sometimes Avelut compels us to do certain things. The Gemara says, okay, if that's the case, Elahakasha. That's not our problem with the Dargash being a Arsa de Gado. Rather, this is the problem with the Tanya. Dargash lo hayakofeu elozokfo. When it comes to Avelut, a practice that we don't have today anymore, but we saw this back in Moed Katan, was that they flipped all the beds. They flipped all the beds in the house. And over here it says that the Dargash lo hayakofeu. They did not flip that bed. Elozokfo. So most of the Rishonim believe, you can see it in Rashi and the Tosafot, Zokfo means that you stand it upright, and we'll see that on the second half of the daf today as well. That means that instead of flipping the bed over, totally over, you just stand it up on one of its sides. So it's unusable, but it's not completely flipped over. On the other hand, the Rosh over here says, The Rosh over here says that the meaning of the bright here is not that you flip it over on its side, but you just leave it alone. You don't flip it at all. Where it if you say it's this bed that is for good luck, don't we have a braita? Kufet mitato. When you flip over your bed in the house for Avelut, you don't just flip over your bed. Any bed that's in the house gets flipped over. And Rashi says that the Arsa de Gada is a mita chashuvai. It's a significant bed. It's something that is of significance. If you're flipping up over the beds in the house, then you would include this bed as being one of those beds that you would have flipped over because of its significance. So if that's the case... How can you claim that this is Arsa de Gado if there's no requirement to flip it over when you're found in the Beta Avel? Because here we see that any mitah that is found in the house of the Avel is flipped over. The Gemara says, wait a minute, Halo Kasho, that's not a problem. mitam kelim. It's similar to a bed that is not used for sleeping on, a bed that is used to take care of kelim, storage. For whatever the reason, besides sitting or sleeping on, those beds do not require to be flipped. Titania. If you have a bed that is designated for storage, that's not used for sitting on, not used for laying on, then you don't have to flip it over. So let's say the same thing here. With regards to the Arsa de Gado, it's never used for sleeping on. It's never used for sitting on because nobody uses it at all. So if that's the case, it's not required to be flipped over. It's not a mitah, a bed in the sense of what needs to be kviyata mitah. Kviyata mitah is that you no longer sleep on the bed, that you don't lay on the bed or the siman, that your bed has been overturned, meaning that your mazal or things that have happened to you have been overturned. So that's only special or meaningful when you're talking about your bed or something that's used for sitting or, or sleeping on. Things that are used for storage or things that are never slept on or never sat on, that's not as a meaning in the sense of kfiyat amita. Where it says, Ela ikasha hakasha. This is our problem with explaining that it's an arsa de gada de tanya. Rabbi Shimon Gomil Omer, Dargash martir karvitav, vhu no filmeilav. When it comes to Dargash, you release its loops and it falls by itself. Vi Dargash arsa de gadahu, and if a Dargash is really this good luck bed, karvitin mitai. Since when does it have carvitin in it? So, since it doesn't have carvitin in it, then you can't talk about releasing its carvitin. So, the Gemara sees the explanation of Dargash. If you say that it's an Arsa de Gado, not being able to reconcile with this bright of Rishim Gamaliel, who says that 
if you have a dargash, the way you deal with it, in terms of being kofet amita, is that you release its karvitim. So by letting it go, you deal with doing the kofet amita. But that means it has to have loops. And either it doesn't have loops, for whatever reason, Rashi says over here that kimlahu, the Rabbana knew that it didn't have karvitin, or it was well known that this arsa de gada did not have karvitin. Or it wasn't a normal bed, and so you wouldn't have expected it to have these karvitin. So now the Gemara has to move to a different explanation of what this dargash is. Ravin, when he came from Eretz he says, I inquired of this Rabbanan, Rav Khalifa Bar Marava Shemei, and this was the name of the individual, the Samora that I spoke to, that he frequently visited the marketplace of the leather makers. my dargash. So then he explained to me what this dargash is, meaning that he has exposure to these leather makers and the people who work with leather. And he said, I'll tell you what a dargash is. It's an arsa de tzala. It's a bed that uses a leather throw as the mattress. So in their day, you had different ways to make a bed or have mattress on the bed. One way was to do it through ropes, which was the main way, that they strung ropes from side to side in the bed and then from top to bottom on the bed. And then on that, they used to pack on a sheet and hay on top of that, and that was your bed. The other way to do it was to have a throw that was in the middle. That was the mattress. And then you tied the throw to the frame of the bed. So what he says is this dargash is not your regular mitah that uses ropes across, but rather a bed that uses a throw, a leather throw in the middle to be the mattress. So now, itzmar, ezu mitah, vezu dargash. What is the difference between a bed and a dargash? The difference is that a bed, when you tie the ropes onto the bed, onto the frame of the bed, you tie the ropes over the frame itself. You tie the ropes around the frame and then back to tie it together. On the other hand, when it comes to dargash, they actually drilled holes into the frame. And therefore, when you pass the rope through the frame, you pass it into the frame itself, not around the frame. And that's the difference between a mitah and a dargash is how they are secured to the side or to the frame of the bed. When it comes to a mitah, it's secured around the frame. Whereas for a dargash, it's secured in the frame itself. It's tied inside. There's a hole through the frame that allows you to tie it to it. Now, metave, is that really the case? Can that explanation be correct? Kliates, me'ematai mikablim tuma. When it comes to a kliates, when do they become tamay? Many of the Mishnayot and Kilim are discussing when is a Kli considered to be finished. Because a Kli is only Mikabal Tumah once it reaches its finished state or close enough to its finished state that it's usable. So many times in the Mishnayot and Kilim, they're trying to define for us what is that final stage, or what is that threshold over which the item becomes then a Kli and is Mikabal Tumah. So there the Mishnah says, Amita Barisa, Mishayishufeim Ba'oradag. It's after you sand them down with the fish skin. So the fish skin, which is scaly and has a roughness to it, it was used as their sandpaper. So once you sand down the frame of the bed, the wooden frame of the bed, that's when it's becabal tumah. Now, if a bed, a normal bed, the way that it's tied, meaning the way that the bed is secured to the frame, is by taking the ropes over the frame itself, then why would you sand the frame down? The reason to sand the frame down is because there's sharp pieces to it. There are pieces that stick out. 
That's only relevant if you're going to be able to touch the frame or the frame is going to come into contact with you. If you run the ropes around the frame itself on top of the frame, then you're never going to sit on the frame itself. You're not going to come into contact with the frame because the ropes or the sirug is going over and around the frame. And therefore, you wouldn't need to sand it down because the ropes themselves are going to protect you or keep whatever you're placing on top above the frame itself. So that doesn't make so much sense. Ella, you have to say, The way that they are secured to the bed frame is the same, which is through a hole in the frame itself. Both a regular mita and a dargash, both of them are secured to the frame in the same way, which is there's a hole in the frame, and they loop the rope through that hole in the frame. What's the difference? Mita aule vafuke bivzine. The mita goes directly, ties directly through the hole to the item itself, whatever the mattress is, whether it's other ropes that are there or some other throw that's in the middle. Whatever it is, it's tied directly from that item to the frame itself. Dargash aule vafuke bivkato. Another thing by a dargash, what they do is they set up loops in the holes of the frame, and then you tie the throw to those loops that are around there. So it's there's say, a derivative attachment. Instead of being directly attached, like the mitah, where it's directly attached to the frame, through the frame, by the dargash, there are loops that are directly attached to the frame, and then you attach the dargash to those loops. So that's the difference between a dargash and a mitah. Now, why then would you have a difference in the din? Because over here we're saying that when it comes to a dargash, martir karvitav, he releases the loops, and it falls by itself. Now we understand that. We understand why that happens. So we could be talking about this arsa de tzalo. We're talking about this leather throw that is attached to the frame of the bed. But how it's attached to the frame of the bed is through these loops. So we understand Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel's statement that the reason that we release the loops to allow it to come off is because that's how it's attached. It's attached through loops. But the more basic question is, why don't you just do kfiatamita? Why don't you just flip it over like you do with any other bed? So here there are different reasons given. Rashi says over here, Holal ve'ena chashuva. Since it's not so significant, loya kufa elzokfa v'doyo. That when it comes to this arshad savo, instead of flipping it over completely, you stand it up on its side, or you do something else that is less significant in terms of the kfiata mita. So you don't have to do a full kfiata mita over here because it's not such a significant bet. That's how Rashi explains it. On the other hand, Tosavot says here, the reason is because he says that the nature of the dergash is that it's always very low to the ground. So even when you flip it over, it doesn't seem to change the nature of the bed. A bed, which is much higher off the ground, so you have bed posts that hold the bed up. If you flip the bed over, even if there's some posts that come up over the top of the frame, nevertheless, when you flip it over, you've taken it from being very high off the ground to very close to the ground. So you've changed the nature of the bed by being kofed the bed. On the other hand, the dargash, which sits much lower to the ground, if you end up flipping it over, it still remains low to the ground. It looks no different than it did before you flipped it over. So Tosavot says that that's the difference is because there's no distinction, nothing obvious when you flip over a dargash that you actually did fiatamita. And so based on that, you have to do something else here, whether it's zokfo, whether you have to stand it up or you release the loops, that's the way that you have to deal with it. Tosavot says the reason for that is because of the way that it's tied. He says over here that it's tachar arukot. 
that the way that the gash was tied is not level with the bed frame, and not up at the level of the bed frame, but it sank below the bed frame, so that kept it much lower to the ground. So by nature, by definition, the dargash is always lower than the mita. Now, the rosh, on the other hand, says over here that the reason that you don't do kriyata mita by the dargash is the fisha or mitkalgel ben agovaretz, patrua mikfiat. If you had to flip it over, then the throw would be on the ground and would get all dirty. So in order to exempt them from having to make the dargash all dirty, they came over the way. You can release it from the bed, and that'll solve your problem, because then you don't have to put it on the floor, you don't have to ruin this throw by having it on the floor. So for whatever the reason is, according to Rashi, Tosafoto, the Rosh, the reason that you do not do kfiat mita by the dargash, therefore we allow you to either do this kifa or release the loops, and then it falls away. Now the Gemara continues and says, Amar Yaakov Barach, Amar Rabbi, Mita if you have a bed that has a canopy on it, the naklita are posts. There's a post at the head of the bed and a post at the foot of the bed, which allows for a bar to crawl across from the top to the bottom of the bed, and then they hang a canopy over the bed. So those naklita, if you have this, we'll call it like a bed board at the top, or something that sticks out at the top and the base at the foot of the bed, then you can't flip it over. It's just physically impossible to flip it over because the naklita sit in the way, so you can't flip the bed. So what do you do is, zokfa vidayo. You stand it up, and that's enough. So most of Rishonim read here, zokfa, literally, is that you put it up on its side. You flip it either onto the two legs at the end, or the top, or onto its side, and that's the equivalent of kviyatamita, because you can't flip it over entirely. On the other hand, Tosafot reads over here, what does it mean, zokfa? Pores beget, botolulaot, shibrashia haknaklitim, velikotfuish, shiva. That instead of Flipping it over, you, you spread something across the bed, and it makes it that you can no longer access the bed because of this sheet that is thrown over it, and gives you the equivalent effect of kviyatamita, which is you can't use it anymore. That's what Tosfot says. Tosfot says instead of flipping it, you just throw something on top of it that makes it unusable at this point. So Amar Rav Yaakov Bar Idi, Amar Rav Shimon Ben Levi, Halocha to Rav Shimon Ben Gamliel. Halokha is like Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel above, who we saw that says, Dargash matir kavitav unufil me'elaf. That we can use that mechanism to deal with kfiat mitav, the dargash, and you don't have to flip over the dargash, according to Tosvot, where it doesn't work when you flip over the dargash. So this is the way that you deal with it, according to the Rosh and Rashi. Rashi who says that it wasn't so significant, so you don't have to do a full kfiat mitav, or the Rosh says we're trying to protect the throw. This is the way that you deal with it. Either it's kifa or through being matir kavita, so you don't have to do a full kfiata mita. We no longer do kfiata mita today. Shonim bring different reasons as to why we don't do kfiata mita today. The most likely is it's just not relevant. That we don't have beds that flip over in that manner. Flipping over the bed is just not a, in a practical sense, like this case with the naklitin. We have the post sticking up, you can't flip the bed over. So it's not meaningful to flip the bed over. So therefore, we don't do the kviyata mita just because you can flip a mattress doesn't make a difference. Or the nature of how we sleep or how we come about it, that's one of the reasons given by the Yishonim doesn't work, that we don't do it anymore. The other is that, that people are maybe istanisim today. They have that by tishbav also. By tishbav, one is not supposed to sleep on their bed, they're supposed to sleep on the floor. But then the poskim bring down that if a person is unable to handle that because there's such an istanis, then they should do something that causes them a certain amount of discomfort in the bed. If they sleep normally with two pillows, they sleep with one pillow. If they sleep with one pillow, they should sleep without a pillow. They should do something that creates a certain amount of discomfort. So, again, that since people are deemed to be istanis today, 
Therefore, fiat mitam is not something that is manageable or people can't handle it, and therefore we do it in a much more muted fashion. Tosafot actually brings down a reason that it looks like we're doing masik shafim. And in order to not have the goyim think we're doing masik shafim, we avoid kfiat mitah. The Orach HaShulchan says the reason we don't do kfiat mitah is because we don't sit on the beds anymore. And when we're talking about kfiat mitah, we're not just talking about what you sleep on, but we're also talking about that which you sat on. And therefore, kfiat mitah had a relevance in terms of kfiat mitah and sitting on the flipped over bed, which again today would have no relevance in the terms of our beds or the way that we sit. So those are the reasons brought by the Rishonim as to why we don't do kfiat mitah today. Right. Someone takes a nether not to get hana or not to access a city. He's allowed to go into the tchum. He's allowed to go into the area that surrounds the city. On the other hand, he's restricted from going to the ibur. So what's clear here is that you have different delineations of the city limits. So the ibur is a tighter circle around the city limits. And tchum is a much larger area. Tchum in general is easy to know. We know it's a lacha that comes up in Eruvin. So tchum is 2,000 amot. So we know that he's allowed to access the 2,000 amot. What Iburashal ear is, there is a halachic definition which you found in Erevin, which is 70 and 3 quarters amot away from the city. That's considered to be the Iburashal ear. It has significance in Eruvin if you have two cities that are adjacent to each other. If they are connected, their Iburim overlap, or they're within that context, and they're considered to be one city for Eruvin, and you don't start the Tchum till the outside of the two cities. That's one possibility, and most of the Rishonim explain it that way. Rashi over here brings the other possibility, which is Iburashal Ir, is the way that we determine the circumference of the city. Yomarni Irvin tells us that many cities are not built in exactly a square or a circle, so that you know you can set up the Tchum from outside the city. So how do you measure where the end of the city is? So there the Gemara tells us in Irvin that if you have pieces of the city that stick out, houses that stick out, or you have towers that stick out, then you draw a straight line from those towers and you make that as if those are the equivalent delineating spaces of the end of the city. And so that's what he calls Iburashal Ir, basically the pregnant area of the city, because we extend the city even to those areas that jut out of the city. So Rashi claims Iburashal Ir means the limits of the city, but the city itself. It's not something like when we talk about an area that extends beyond the city, which we call the city limits, but rather the city itself. What is the delineating line of the city itself? And then again, it's not exactly, it doesn't follow the wall exactly. It follows the location that's the furthest out. And then we circumscribe the city with a circle based on the way that the city is laid out at the furthest point. That's what Rashi calls the Iburashal ear. So it says that a person takes a nether, he's allowed to enter the Tchum, which is the, we call the outer limits, or the furthest point that's still considered relevant to the city. But he may not enter the Ibura ear, which is something that's much closer to the city and much more a part of the city. Now, Aval, Anodermina Bayit, on the other hand, when a person takes a nether not to get enough from a house, he's not restricted from the outer limits of the house, but rather, he's only restricted from the door jam and inward. So over there, they have a possibility where you might still be within, let's call it the house itself, you'll still be within the porch walking into the house, or you might still be under the lintel, or walking on the iscopa that's below, the doorstep coming in, but nevertheless, you're still not past the door jam. And as long as you're outside of the door jam, that's not considered to be the house itself. So that's distinct from the city, 
but a city has influence over the spaces around it where you may not enter, even though the city's already ended. Over here, the delineation of the house is very exact at the door jam, even though you might still be within the shadow or the shade of the house itself. So Mara says, Minolon di Ibura de Mato Kemato Domi. How do we know that the Ibur of the year is considered like be the city itself? The Pasuk says in Yoshua, When Yoshua was in Yericho, my Biricho. How is it possible that Yeshua is in Yericho? If you're going to say that he was literally inside of Yericho, that Yericho was completely closed. They're laying siege to the city because it's impossible to get in and out of the city. So how can you say that Yoshua is in the city? That he was in the area around the city, and therefore he was deemed to be as if he was in the city. He called him Biricho, even though he's literally not in the city. That shows you that the city or the shame of the city or the influence of the city extends beyond the walls of the city. So when it says that, how do you know where that goes to? Maybe that means even the Tchum. If you went out 2,000 Amot, that would still be considered as if you're in the city. Because we already have something that tells us about the Tchum of the city, the Parsha that we read on Shabbat, which is, that you measure from outside of the city 2,000 Amot, by the Arei HaLeviim. When you measure out from the city, you measure the 2,000 Amot. When there it says, Michutz Lair, outside of the city. So it's the Tchum of the city, or the 2,000 Amot, that extend from the city as being Michutz Lair, they're outside the city. So Tchum is clearly outside the city, so it has to be something less than Tchum. What's less than Tchum? An area that has halachic significance, that's the Iburash Lair. Whether that means the 70 and 3 quarters or so Amot, or whether that means the way Rashi says it, it means the extension of the city to square it out or to create a, a straight line, either one of those are considered to be a part of the city, and that's how we learn it. We learn it here from this statement of the Navi by Yehoshua. That implies that outside of the door jam, it's not a problem. We have a problem because of the din by Nigaim. It says, The coin goes out of the house. So the coin came to check out the nega and the bait, and then he leaves his, the house. You think he'd go home, and then close up the house. He goes outside of the house, and at the doorway to the house, he is suger. He closes up the house and declares it tamei. You would think he would stand under the lintel, and he would close it up. Minabait, that it's from the house. Actually, it's say minabait kulo. You have to leave the house entirely. So how do we balance from minabait and el petachabait? He's supposed to be by the doorway, but he needs to be out of the house. How do you balance or reconcile between those two? Hakeitzad. How do we explain that? Omeid mitzadamashkof veyasgir. He stands by the lintel, the overhang, and he closes it. Minayim shemalach la beitov veyasgir. How do we know if he went home and he shut the door? Or he stand under the shakuf and he closed it up. She's girel musgar that it works. No matter how he does it, in the end it works. So there's a proper way to do it. But if he doesn't do it that way, then it still works to do the closing of it. The Rash over here describes the difference between a shakuf and a mashkof. So he says here that shakuf is hanoi skopa. The shakuf is the doorstep. And the mashkof is the lintel that's above the doorway. 
And that's the different usage here of the word mashkof versus shakuf. Although you would have to say over here, I don't know how you'd say shamad tachad shakuf. You would have to say that he's, as Rashi says over here, bitzad shakuf. You'd have to change the gear so he doesn't stand under the doorstep. He would have to be on top of the doorstep or bitzad. They have to be near the doorstep. And that's the way Rashi has a different gear so here because of that different explanation of what the shakuf is versus the mashkof. On the other hand, if you think that they're the same word, mashkof and shakuf are the same word, then they're both referring to the lintel above the doorway. But what that shows you is that a door frame in general can be much larger than where the door actually hits the jam. And that we have today in the modern doors, you have that. The door jam is in the middle of the door, but the frame itself is larger than the door itself. And you have that much more extensively in entrances to houses where you can have, and especially in their day when you're building out of stone, then you have large door frames but the door itself closes at some point in the middle of the frame. So you can have, or you can have a position where you're standing outside the door. You're under the mashkof. You're standing on the scopa, and yet you're outside the house. And what you see, the way that we're describing here is that you could be outside the doorway and still be under the lintel or on the doorstep, and you'd be considered outside the house. On the other hand, the way that the Gemara describes it over here from the drosha by Nigayim, it sounds like that you have to leave the house entirely. And therefore, when you said El Petach you would have assumed that he was still under the lintel or he was standing on the doorstep. And that's the way to do it. The Darasha says, no, that you have to leave the house entirely. But the implications of that are that while you're still under the lintel or on the doorstep, you're still considered to be in the house. And that goes against what we said in our Mishnah. Now, the somewhat difficult part of this is that we know that the din of Nidarim is that Halei Chakar Lashon Bnei Adam. So the fact that you bring me a proof from the Pasuk, why does it matter? The way the Torah expresses it is one thing. The way the people express it is different. We've seen this before, that when we have somewhat of a stira from the Pasukim, then we don't worry about it because we're talking about what the vernacular is or the way the word is used. So why can't you can answer the same thing over here? Now the Gemara doesn't say it over here because it seems like even within the vernacular, it wasn't clear what it meant to be mechutz labayit. So once we don't have something clear within the vernacular, then we go to the Torah to see maybe we can find the definition of the word bayit. Well, we go to the Torah and now we find that the definition of the word bayit includes anything that's there. And you'd have to leave the entirety of the bayit. If you're still under the door frame, even though you're outside the jam, you'd still be considered to be in the house. So that's the problem that's brought up from this brayta. My answer is, shiny gabi bayit, dechtib mina bayit. That truthfully, over there, there's an extraneous wording. It says, El Petach And then it says, Minabait. So there's extraneous wording which says that you have to go more than just outside the house. You need to really go outside the house. So what does that mean? You have to leave the entirety of the house, including the Mashkof and the Skopa. You have to be outside of that completely. So that's why it's different. By Nigaim, there's an extra reboy which forces you not only to leave the house, but to leave the house entirely or completely. That extra entirely or completely means you have to step out another step outside the house. On the other hand, when it comes to Nidarim, over there, we would say that the bayit ends at the door jam, and therefore if you're still in the door frame, you're okay, as long as you are outside of the door jam. And there are notes that it would be the same thing in reverse. If a person takes a nether, a person who says that he takes a nether to stay in one house, then then they have to stay from the door jam inward, and that would be fine. And then from the door jamming out, they would be considered a surim, because the definition of bayit, or the threshold, which is really the word, the threshold at which the bayit starts and ends, is at the door jam. And so because of that, you can 
be on the threshold under the lintel in the door frame, but outside the door jam, and it would not be considered as if you are in the house. Okay, we'll stop here at the end of Nunvava Medbet, and we'll begin with the Mishnah and Zainamanav tomorrow.